The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck. Like a rugged half-ton Tundra, workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design, the Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower farther than ever before. Or check out the fully redesigned Tacoma, delivering trail-dominating power and captivating style. The new Tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true. And with new available tech, this legendary truck is getting even better. And when you buy a Toyota truck, you buy Toyota dependability, meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Oh, and first pitch rushing. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. Some might say that you can't win your league in the first round, but you can lose it. Welcome into Fantasy Baseball today on Wednesday, January 4th. Frank Stample joined by the Chris's. The Chris I? I, I don't know. I'm, we'll figure out the plural for that another time. Chris Towers and Chris the Welsh. They are the gentlemen that are here with me today and today on the show. We're looking at the first round in early ADP, making the case for and against each of those players. Again, new year, new podcast. We're hoping that a lot of people that are rejoining us, you might want to know a little bit about the first round and maybe some of our thoughts on those players as well. First and foremost, before we actually get into the baseball action, obviously, unspeakable tragedy that happened on Monday night. Uh, the entire CBS family, both fantasy podcasts, of course, send our thoughts and prayers to Bill's safety, Damar Hamlin. I know it's football, uh, but that really doesn't matter. I mean, this is a human and it's an unfortunate situation. So obviously we're hoping and praying for the best to uh, happen here with Damar Hamlin. Hello there, Towers. How was the new year, buddy? How you doing? Good, good. I I went out to a to a person's apartment for New Year's Eve, and I managed to you know avoid having to like go out into the world. So that was fine. I I, I managed to have fun without actually going out on New Year's Eve, and I think that's the goal, right? Because I, I 
I don't know. I mean, I mean, maybe Frank, you're a little younger. Maybe you're maybe you're still chomping at the bit to go out into the world on nope. New Year's Eve. But I, I haven't wanted to do that in a long time unless it's like I'll go to a concert. You know, if there's a fun concert. But other than that, trying to just avoid the crowds on New Year's Eve. So it was nice. You know, yeah, not too bad. Look, anyway, anyway I mean, we had to we had to keep it chill because we had to, you know, do a football stream at 1130 on Sunday. So. You know, it didn't didn't go too crazy. Yeah, I mean, that's basically the story of football season is that this this <laughs> balance of, you know, want to have a little bit of fun on Saturday, but you can't have yeah, too I much fun really, because yeah. you got to be up early on Sunday mornings to uh, obviously fix the rankings and do all this kind of stuff and live streams and all that crazy stuff. Anyway, uh, Welsh, what's up, buddy? How you doing? You guys just uh, described uh, be, uh, being a parent. It's like, you want to have a lot of fun, uh, but yeah. it's like, oh, God. so that's me too. I'm like, oh, I want to have a lot of fun, but I got kids, so I can't. Uh, I am a good, my friend. Nothing crazy. Again, I have kids. I was asleep before midnight, which is actually the first time I've done that in a long time. But, you know, you're always worn out and you're always uh, man, exhausted. I, I, don't, I don't fall asleep before midnight any day. So I don't really yeah. either. It was I was a kind of a, an anomaly, but, you know. There's some things that kind of you do that on New Year's nice. that make you fall asleep a little bit quicker and stuff like that. So, you know, no big deal. No big deal. I didn't go out anywhere. I noticed you New Yorkers. That's a common thing. Everybody I asked, like, hey, what'd you do? Like, went to an apartment, went to an apartment. Yeah. Did a little party. 340 people fit in like a 900 square foot place. <laughs> and we had a great time. And I'm like, wow, that's, <laughs> that's nah, this was like 12 people. This wasn't this wasn't yeah. that kind of. But yeah, because like you're not going into the city. No. If you live in one of the boroughs, like that's that's just a bad idea. But I did that one time, and that was twelve years before I actually lived in New York City, and that was that was enough. I don't think we said this on air yesterday, Welsh. I, I think no. it was off air, but we both said just something we would never do, like s- sitting in a in a crowd watching a ball drop while wearing a diaper, just yeah. seems ig- uh, like just the worst, the worst yeah. possible well, thing ever. And you so. guys live you live in New York, or and and I was talking to Frank about them. Like you ever done? He's like, no, I'd never do that. That's a touristy thing. I'm like, listen, I always want to. It's a bucket list thing. I've never been to New York. I want to come sometime, hang with you guys. But if I were to come. It would never be near New Year's and it would never be to do that. That would be the last thing on the planet I'd want to do. I did. I went to a 2008 into 2009. I'm looking at the poster. I went to see my morning jacket at Madison Square Garden. Great show. Awesome time. They did the ball drop in the arena and they played until like two in the morning. Then we took a train out to Queens and we were leaving. We're driving home that night and it was back in 2008. So it was poor before we had like good GPS and I just plug in my address in South Florida, driving home from New York at two in the morning on New Year's <laughs> Eve. What? And the Garmin, I'm just the like, okay, Garmin. I'm just going to follow just whatever, whatever Garmin tells me to do, <laughs> I'm going to do. And then I realize, oh, crap, it's taking me into Manhattan on New Year's Eve while it's snowing, Ooh. which is not something that I've ever driven in before. This is the first time I'm ever driving in through snow, and I'm driving into Manhattan on New Year's. It was one of the most stressful experiences of my life. What a shout out to Garmin, by the way. Shout yeah. out to that company. Long yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's the blockbuster of navigation. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, <laughs> shout out, man. Good times. Anyway, as much as people want to hear about that, let's get into the first round here. We're using all of the NFBC ADP to this point, which includes 182 drafts. So quite the sample size. I believe five of these drafts have been uh, best ball. So those are point style. Everything else is five by five roto. So this is mostly five by five ADP that we're going to be talking about. There's one player on this list that I will 
very clearly point out should not be a first-round pick in a head-to-head points league, but I'll let you know once we get to that player. The number one overall pick so far in ADP. Again, we're going to be making the case for and against each of these players. We're starting off with Trey Turner, who is now a member of the Philadelphia Phillies. And Welsh, we will start with you. The case for Trey Turner, first overall. Well, uh, and this is someone I have taken first overall in some early drafts. Only player who went 2020 this past year with 100 100. Only player to go 2020 with the highest batting average of any of those players with 20 or more stolen bases. And also, is just a true five category player. I mean, that's what you're looking for. I've always been um, a pretty big proponent of not chasing my stolen bases like late in drafts. And I think the best place to find your stolen bases is early on in drafts because those players tend to have, you know, just the best overall floor in ceiling. You're going to get high homers with those stolen bases. So if you can pick and find that spot, that's where you want to do it. The five categories are fantastic. You brought up a great point here. You've got some uh, great notes for us. Uh, one of them, uh, he has not finished lower than six overall in Roto in each of the past three seasons, which I think is a huge marker here. But also, we've talked about it in any instance we can. When you want to start maybe down-talking him a little bit, and the stolen bases numbers are not quite a, as elite as they were before, now you have some new stolen base rules. You got a little bit of bigger base. You got less pickoff attempts. You might see teams being a little bit more aggressive. Maybe the Phillies are going to be more aggressive early on. I think you could negatively maybe look at the uh, team change as something, you know, that adjustment can be part of a problem. But he's a true five-tool player. There are some of these guys in the first round, but there's not many like Trey Turner. So I think Trey Turner is a very, very easy pick in Roto and head-to-head. And hey, still has a lot of... He's one of those few guys that has value in points leagues that steals a lot of bases. The cliche that I started the podcast with, you can't lose your draft and you can't win your draft in the first round, but you can lose it. Basically, I want to target the highest floor player possible early on in my draft. And Trey Turner, you mentioned it, hasn't finished lower than sixth overall in Roto each of the past three years. Mm. He's about as safe as they come. Chris Towers... If you had to make the case against Trey Turner here, first of all, what would it be? Uh, I think it would probably be that there is, when you're talking about a player who the primary argument is safety, and I, I don't think it's fair necessarily to say the primary argument for Trey Turner is safety because the primary argument for Trey Turner is he's an incredible player who does everything well. But like you guys were saying, he's got a really high floor. There's not a lot of ways things can go wrong. But you are talking about a guy who's changing teams that brings uncertainty. I think it's just mostly that there's a little more uncertainty in his profile. You know, he is going to be 30 midway through this season. He's changing teams. So it's just we don't know how much he's going to run. We don't know, you know, whether the lineup context is going to work quite as well. Is he going to hit leadoff? Is he going to hit second or third? So there, there are just I think there's some uncertainty and You know, stolen bases are the kind of thing, as we've seen with someone like Mike Trout over the last five years, where it can go from 30 to 11 to one pretty quickly. I don't think that's going to happen to Trey Turner. He's a very different type of player. And, you know, in in Mike Trout's case, it's mostly injury related, I think. But, you know, it's it's that a lot of his value does come from being a really good base stealer. And if he goes from being a really good base stealer to 21 steals you know maybe the the margin for error isn't quite as wide as it could be for someone like Ronald Acuna who might hit 45 home runs you know I think that's most of the cases like it may not be a situation where if one thing goes wrong he has enough to make up for it but I I don't really buy that case to be honest 
It's interesting you said that too, not to like keep belaboring this. One of the things when I was looking at like positives and negatives, uh, last year he did have a second half decline as far as his power numbers go. Mm-hmm. He had a home run to fly ball ratio that dropped to 8%, only five homers over just around his last 60 games. So that might play in a little bit of part of what you're talking about that, you know, you can't have the stolen bases come back down because some of the other pieces don't necessarily mm-hmm. hold it up. The only problem though is like, that guy has proven to be an A-plus hitter. I mean, he's the most yeah. predominant batting average guy of those stolen bases. There are things in the works that work in favor of him stealing more bases this year. Mm-hmm. And the team context is the team context is probably, honestly, one of the crazier things. He just doesn't have the sexy counting stats that some of those other guys, because we're specifically talking about the case for being one overall here for Trey yeah. Turner. He doesn't have the home runs a judge has. He doesn't have maybe those big, big stats of homers and stolen bases combined as Acuna. And you can kind of go down the list. Jose Ramirez positionally might be a little bit better to get those stolen bases at third base. There's some of that, but there's just this there's this floor that I really think is counting. And he has turned himself into a little bit more, I don't call it like a prolific home run hitter, but someone you can count on. But I didn't love that second half decline in home run to fly ball and those homers overall, especially with the context of moving to a new team and us not knowing where he's going to be hitting in that. I know a lot of people say that um, line of protection is not real and fake and stuff like that, but Bryce Harper is not there. Bryce Harper is not going to be there. Yeah. For for me, it's it's less the lineup context because most of a player's runs in RBI comes from what they do. You know, like if you hit 35 homers with a, you know, 380 on base percentage, you're probably going to get close to 100 runs in RBI in pretty much any lineup as long as you're hitting, you know, top three. But I think, you know, when you look at it, maybe the, the case would be like last year, the Dodgers leadoff spot got 762 plate appearances. Phillies got 738 from their leadoff spot. Number two spot in the Phillies lineup got 722. So, you know, you're, you're talking about marginal differences. You know, that's what a 5% uh, drop off, probably maybe a little more. That's not huge, but like if he's hitting second for the Phillies predominantly, he could, you know, lose 5% of his counting stats right off the top. In addition to it being a little bit of a worse lineup and not getting as many opportunities. So, you know, when you're talking about one, one, I think the case for Trey Turner is there's probably not a lot of ways that things can go wrong, but there's probably not a lot of ways for things to go really, really right for him in a way where it's like, I'm so glad I drafted him one, one. It's probably like, you'll never be upset that you drafted him, but you probably won't be thrilled about it. Yeah, I don't think he's an A-plus anywhere in any categories, but he's basically an A-minus in all of them, and then maybe, I don't know, a B or B-minus in power. So, yeah. uh, But he's he's pretty much as safe as they come. That is Trey Turner, second overall, and I hate to be that host, but we've got to move a little bit quicker on these players. Uh, Jose Ramirez, second overall right now. Uh, Towers will come right back to you. The case four, I think, is a lot like Trey Turner, The floor is so, so high when it comes to Jose Ramirez. Yeah, there's just, again, there's not a lot of ways for things for to go wrong for Jose Ramirez. I mean, we saw what one, basically one calendar year where things went wrong for him. And it's worth pointing out in that calendar year, you're talking about a season where he hit 270 with 39 homers and 34 steals and another season where he hit 255 with 23 homers and 24 steals. So like the floor, as long as he's this level of player is really, really high. He's 30. Maybe he runs less. It's not a great lineup, all those things. But those things have been there for him. So I think the the this primary thing that Jose Ramirez has for him is just he's rock solid across the board. He's not going to he's probably not going to be a great help in batting average, but he's probably not going to hurt you. It's mostly just like Trey Turner. 
he's probably an A minus everywhere and probably an A to an A plus in like run score. And third base is absolutely terrible. So if you want to make yes, the case, that also helps. if you want to make the case that you want to take Jose Ramirez first overall, I have absolutely no problem with that. I, I actually think in most roto drafts, one and two should be some form of Trey Turner and Jose Ramirez. Of course, you can make the case for other players, but if you're just talking about safety, I think it probably should be these two players. And Towers, to your point before that you made, uh, as long as a player is performing, even if they're in a not great lineup, the Guardians are okay. They're probably average at best. Jose Ramirez just had 126 yeah. RBI. That is insane. That's just a testament to how great he was this past season, where, frankly, he was playing through half of it with an injury, uh, which you could talk about right now, Welsh, because what is the case against Jose Ramirez? Well, and these two things mo- mo- might coincide here and most likely do coincide because uh, I put some little tidbits in here. But let's preface it first with what you've got in here is he underwent right thumb surgery in November. He had a UCL ligament issue uh, that's going to take him out six to eight weeks. And that's not really necessarily a big issue, but the suffering of the injury through the season could have led to some of these problems. These are a couple things I found that, you know, especially like players like this, you kind of said at the best, like he's kind of a cheat code. You know, this position is not great at third base. That's why a lot of people are going to make the case for him being number one overall is because you get Trey Turner like stats, maybe a little as batting average, but uh, you get it at third base, which is great. But in looking, he had the lowest EV dip uh, at 87, uh, 87 miles per hour. And it was since 2015. That was his lowest EV uh, average EV he's had. He also had the biggest slug versus X slug differential of his career from 514, his actual slug, down to an X slug of 407. And that was the lowest X slug he has had since 2015. So just a few of those kind of bigger hard hit number numbers that uh, were at really low points, but you could point to the injury causing a lot of those. So I don't know. It's something to take a look at, whether it's the injury that puts you there or whether it's some of those underlining, really maybe concerning slug numbers and EV overall hard hit numbers. Now, it's max EV. He's still through the roof. He still sprays the ball and everything like that. But, you know, sustainability might be a question, whether it's injury or whether it's some of those hard hit numbers. Yeah, I think you could look at the injury as a reason. Apparently, he suffered this thumb injury in mid-June and, you know, basically playing the majority of the season and still had a ridiculous year, which he just did. Uh, But you see it in the numbers. If there was a player who if he fell off from one year to the next, just out of nowhere, and we didn't really, you know, how did how did this happen? I guess these would be some kind of indicators that we would see and be like, all right, maybe we should have paid a little bit more attention to that with the underlying numbers for Jose Ramirez. And where did you say the injury was? It was in mid-June. Mid-June. So July, he still maintained a 500 slug, just to throw that out there. But he did drop in August down to 466 uh-huh. and a 389 in that September, October. But again, my, you know, one of the big points to look at, I'd have to find the uh, X numbers, which I don't have in front of me broken down by month. But the, the overall slug kind of maintained, but it was the expected that really, really dropped. And you actually didn't see the overall slug dip until uh, after July. So just something yep. to look at where 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 we give the excuse 100 percent to uh, an injury. We also look kind of like you said, there's a little volatility in Jose Ramirez's game if you ever wanted to make the case. But he's been doing it for like four full seasons. That's what's tough to like go against him. Yeah. And he's got that really pull heavy profile, especially as, on, on his fly balls. So that that always makes it like he usually does outperform his expected stats. Not every single season, but he he tends to. All right, let's move on to third overall. And this might surprise some people. Ronald Acuna is currently going third overall in NFBC drafts. 
And I'll just say it because Scott isn't here and I know he would say it. NFBC shooting for upside. There's some overall prizes. And Ronald Acuna, I mean, if there's anyone who's going to go 40-40, it's probably going to be Ronald Acuna. So he, he has about as much upside as anybody. And I think that's why when you factor in power and speed, that's probably why you see Ronald Acuna going third overall here. Uh, but Welsh, we'll come right back to you. The sure. case for Ronald Acuna, third overall. So I like this. Uh, you said 2019, 41 homers, 37 stolen bases. He had a 2021, 150 game pace of 43 homers and 31 stolen bases. That's so interesting because a note I put as against is he has only hit 140, uh, 150 games once in his career, and he's on three straight seasons uh, without full played. He's also seen a five. Uh, percent hard hit dip this past year and that was also something you know coming back from injury he kind of went into the stolen bases more than the homers and that's it, it, the projections even show you that's a little bit of anomaly but you saw a big barrel dip 77 and a half percent and you had an overall ev dip of around two and a half miles per hour still very young um but those are just a few of the random against that I'm throwing out there uh, if you want to play on those. Uh, but the 150 game pace, I think, is out there. Projections are well in his favor. 98th percentile max EV, 92 percentile hard hit, 95 percentile ex Woba, and he stole the seventh most bases at 29 in under 120 games this past year. I totally ramped out and I gave some of the against stats and I apologize <laughs> about that. But uh, on the positive side, I think there's so much to go for. And I think maybe the m- biggest key one is something I've talked about here on a whole bunch is outfield outfield. I, I can't, I, I'm glad to see more people are kind of joining me in this. Yeah. Uh, that's something been me for about six weeks is I don't like how outfield goes and you stare at Jose Ramirez, you stare at Trey, Tur- Trey Turner and you look at Ronald Acuna and you go, boy, I could just, check that right off immediately. And I can get one of those outfielders before it really gets out of hand. And he is one of those key players where you get stolen bases with all the other key stats. So I apologize. My brain completely rewired and I went to the negative, but uh, that is a positive case for Ronald Acuna. I played both of them. I gave you nothing towers. Hopefully you have something else. I did them all. I'll give towers a chance to talk about him as well. It's still just 25 years old for Ronald Acuna one year further removed from ACL surgery. So uh, you hope that he can get the power back on track Towers, that's that's what really stands out to me here is this huge rise in ground ball rate. Seems like he couldn't really get his legs un- underneath him. Yep. And you probably could make the case that that's due to the ACL surgery. Uh, is there any other case against that you'd like to make for Ronald Acuna? I don't really think so. I mean, the the leaps he's made as in terms of plate discipline, which, you know, he's always going to strike out a lot. But, like, it wouldn't surprise me if he had an average strikeout rate last next season. He's been getting closer you know he's been in that 23 24 percent range he walks a bunch uh he i i have i'll say i find it a lot easier to make the case for him than against him just because i I think ronald acuna is almost i don't want to say almost certainly at this point in his career ronald acuna is probably a hall of famer like he will probably end up in the hall of fame if you're as good as he is at the age that he's been in the majors Generally speaking, you end up in the Hall of Fame. The only way it can go sideways, really, is if injuries screw him up. And maybe that's what we saw last season. Maybe the the knee injury is just going to make it so that he can't be that same player again. I think the fact that he was still hitting the ball incredibly hard, the fact that he was still incredibly athletic and still running incredibly well, probably suggests that that's not going to be much of a concern. And I'll just, I've started working on my rankings and I'll just say he's probably going to be my number one overall player. I was going to ask you that. I I think it's just the upside is, is so like he could be 250 runs plus RBI. Like if you're talking like 90th percentile outcome, like that's in the convert, like 
it, it's possible he's like a top five player in home runs, steals, runs, and RBI. Like that's not out of the realm of possibility in that lineup with the kind of player he is. And so it's really just if he's healthy and he's not, you know, working his way back from an injury, you know, I think you tend to see the first year back from torn ACLs. You probably need like 10 to 12 months. Well, we're about 12 months. We're about, we're going to be about 10 months back from his return uh, at the start of spring training. So I'm pretty much expecting Ronald Acuna to be that guy again. And that guy is a, has basically been a thousand OPS in the two seasons before last year. So I think he's going to be that guy. I really, I don't have a lot to say against him. All right, let's move on to fourth overall. Still probably not the player that you're expecting. Julio Rodriguez is the fourth player being drafted on average right now. And of course, I've got to make Welsh uh, do the case against because I know that he would yeah. love to make the case for Julio Rodriguez. <laughs> so, Towers, you are up. Julio Rodriguez coming off a ridiculous, ridiculous rookie season. Make the case for him going inside of the top four picks right now. I mean, we did this, what, three years ago with Fernando Tatis? We did this four years ago with Ronald Acuna? Like, it's a freakishly talented young player who hit the majors and immediately was an impact player. Generally speaking, betting against that isn't a great idea. I know there's, you know, can they keep it up? Sophomore slump, all these things. But like the indicators are mostly really, really good. He is an incredibly talented player physically. He's a, you know, an elite stolen base guy, sprint speed, 98th percentile, hits the ball really hard. A lot of the same profile as Ronald Acuna, uh, you know, at that same age. And Ronald Acuna, I think the knock against uh, Julio Rodriguez would be, well, does he have the plate discipline? Will the plate discipline hold him back? That was the knock. That was the concern we had about Ronald Acuna. It was the concern we had about Fernando Tatis, especially. And frankly, Julio Rodriguez plate discipline wasn't really as bad as Fernando Tatis's as a rookie. Um, but like those things tend to improve. And so it's mostly just the case for him is freakishly talented player, 40, 30, 40, 40 upside. And he's young enough. He's on the upswing of his career that you probably just shouldn't bet against that kind of player. Yeah, he just finished 17th. He, being Julio Rodriguez, finished 17th overall in Roto in his age 21 season. And that was missing, what, 20-something games? Yeah, it's it's absolutely ridiculous stuff. 90th percentile barrel rate, 97th percentile sprint speed. Welsh, good luck, bud. You have to make the case <laughs> against Julio Rodriguez going in the top four picks. By the way, I want to point out, do you guys, I don't, we're not even talking about this, do you remember how squeezed he was in the first, like, six weeks of the season? Do you remember oh, yeah. he was getting yep. just crazy squeeze calls throughout the whole thing? Just imagine if he had got that. I do want to point one thing out in this process. I am playing a little bit of the game. Here, uh, with especially with some of those, when I'm making some negative cases, it doesn't necessarily mean I'm being like go against this guy. Oh, that's the I whole point of game. the exercise. It's a good yeah. exercise. You should do this when you're like preparing for your. You should be like checking your own biases. Like, Th- this, this would be like exercise. Yeah, and I think this is almost similar to me in like radio. Like if you're if people listen if you listen to radio, every ten minutes or so, a program director would say, "Do a station check." Be like, "Hey, everybody, this is uh, Frank Savile, Chris Wells, Chris Towers. We're talking about blah 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 on the line. This is K blah blah blah." You would do that. This is my check, just to remind everybody. Hey, we're just making the cases for funsies <laughs> because I think it is hard to make the case, especially for these first four or five that we had, really moving them out. But in that, I cherry picked a little bit, and I found an article talking about, what did you say? Sophomore slumps. This was a University of Georgia baseball analytics intern. Uh, Chris Gaither found that of the 12 position players, rookie of the years from 2010 to 2018, only three improved upon the rookies OPS uh, overall and war 
per 100 plate appearances in their sophomore season, the only player to improve on both his OPS and war was actually Chris Bryant, who was a 2015 NL rookie there. Uh, everyone talks about like sophomore slumps. There's a million other things in this article I found. What is interesting about it, I just want to point out, is it goes up to, it was a 2021 article, but it's only cited through 2018, which just happens to coincide into the Ronald Acuna time and yeah. Fernando Tatis, the players that kind of broke this mold. Right. And Julio Rodriguez, unfortunately, is a mold breaker. This is the type of player he is. I did find a couple interesting things, maybe just to chew on for everybody. He had a 39.5% whiff rate on breaking pitches this past year. And that accounted for around 37% of overall pitches he saw. And what is a very, very common thing you see with rookies from rookie year to sophomore year is an decrease in fastball percentage and mm -hmm. an increase in breaking and uh, off-speed pitches. So you've already got something the pitchers are going to be able to lock into, which is a pretty aggressive high whiff rate. He still had a pretty good batting average, I want to point out, but 37% of the time with a huge whiff rate on breaking pitches. On those breaking pitches as well, he had the lowest exit velocity run. The other two on, uh, this is on Baseball Savant for fastballs and uh, off-speed pitches, his EV average was still over 90 except when he got to these breaking pitches which was 88 so you take a little look at that i think there's a little bit of a recipe for pitchers to potentially attack if they mm -hmm. can so if you believe in sophomore slumps maybe there's a few things in there but he's a mold breaker the one thing i would point out is one he didn't really have like any ridiculous outlier stuff like it was a three i think 335 babip which is high but for i think it's a little high i honestly think it's gonna be i didn't mean to interrupt you i apologize no, i do it was a 345 babip on the season yeah i wonder if that's gonna be a little high overall and yeah. maybe there was a little yeah. bit of that in there but like that. when i think of like rookie of the year sophomore slump this is my marlins fandom coming in but chris coglin he won rookie of the year in 2009 uh hit 321 365 babip chris coglin was not a guy who hit the ball particularly hard he wasn't a particularly fast guy generally speaking Award winners perform worse the next year because when you've won an award, that means you were the best in the league. And generally speaking, it's really hard to be the best in the league multiple years in a row. Mike Trout does it. Most players don't. And so that's what I would say is like, yeah, most MVPs perform worse the next year. I don't think there's an MVP curse. It just means like you had a great year. So I, that's that's one of the things for me. But like Julio Rodriguez he's not one of those rookies of the year where it was like a fluke. He's not one of those guys where it was just like, man, everything went right for that guy. But he, like, he, this is a, a, you know, a 65 grade future talent, whatever the prospect grade, like this is one of the, the most talented players in baseball. Maybe some things went better than they might have in a different version of the universe, but it's not, he didn't have like a freakishly outlier good luck season or anything. Yeah, I, I still think Julio Rodriguez's upside is next year he's the 101. He's the top yeah. drafted player. He goes 40-40, and he just completely smashes once again. I do think his floor is a little bit lower, uh, mm -hmm. specifically with the speed, which I found interesting. He only had four steals in the second half. He's clearly fast enough to run, you know, predicting steals. It's kind of fluky. I get it. Like He started hitting for power in the second half, so maybe they just didn't want him to run as much, whatever it might be. But that just... Worries me a tad. Will he run as much? I think he's capable, but it's just something that stood out to me as a little bit weird when it came to Julio Rodriguez. I think the floor is a little bit lower, obviously, because we haven't seen a, a long enough track record for Julio Rodriguez. We have seen a track record for Aaron Judge, who is going fifth overall. And look, I'm just going to throw this out there because I don't know if you guys are going to bring it up. 
the case for Aaron Judge, according to the Rasball Player Raider, Judge earned $62.9 worth of auction value in a 12-team Roto League. Paul Goldschmidt was the next closest at $40.7. Judge was 50% better than the next hitter in fantasy baseball, which is insane. It's, ridiculous. it's absolutely ridiculous. So I guess that's kind of like the preemptive case four, which Welsh you can continue to make. Right well, now. no, you know, you know what? I actually, I, I'm not going to make an executive decision. I'm on here once a week, but I kind of think I'd like to hear you make it for and against. I think <laughs> you making both of these cases, this is one you're very dominant about. Uh, I, all the only thing I would throw out here, and I would actually love to hear if you have any case for the negative is that you can get into like, you know, what Aaron Judge did and maybe there's some points of uh, not believability. One of the things I keep going back to um, besides the outfield stuff is like if you take 20 percent of his production off, because I think most people's biggest argument is, hey, listen, the repeatability is not yeah. going to happen. And projections would agree with you. Projections don't have him even hitting 45 homers after hitting 62. And that's almost kind of scoffy a little bit. But the projections of uh, just throwing out steamers are still over 40 homers, over 10 stolen bases, over 100, 100. And the batting average is still over 275. So one of my biggest points is like, listen, if he is 85% or 80% of who he was last year, it still might be the best player in baseball. And he's still in an incredible hitting environment um, with, I don't want to say, it's not it's definitely not a worse division. Orioles are getting better. Boston is not getting better. Uh, Rays, uh, you know, I think still maintain. Blue Jays still maintain and stuff like that. But it's just, it's still a great hitting environment. And you can take off a significant amount of production from him and he is still incredibly valuable. The only things are things that we can't really probably identify. Like, will he stop stealing bases or mm-hmm. will he all of a sudden not hit uh, lefties or something like that? So I, I think the it's a, it's a kind of lame argument to just be like, well, you just can't repeat. And it's like, well, that doesn't really matter because he's still going to be incredible. And what he did last year is something he's a prolific. He's the prolific power hitter at a position. That's a little bit of a worry in one of the best ballparks on the Yankees. It's, it's a, Pretty easy argument. Yeah, and I will point out that he made a conscious change last year. If you look at the batted ball profile, he hit more fly balls than he normally does. Aaron Judge, before 2022, he was a hitter. He was a pure hitter. He was a line drive hitter. It just so happened those balls would go over the fence because he was just that strong. Last year, he consciously hit more fly balls, and he pulled more fly balls, which for Aaron Judge is just a recipe for a massive, massive power season. Towers, you are up. The case against Aaron Judge, fifth overall. Historically, players who weigh 282 pounds don't tend to stay healthy. (laughs) Now, that's kind of unfair because there's one player who weighs 282 pounds in Major League Baseball who's been an everyday player, and that's Aaron Judge. He's probably the largest player in Major League history, um, and he has struggled to stay healthy in the past. And just because he stayed healthy two years in a row, we did with Giancarlo Stanton, who had, I think, 2018 and 2019 or He had two healthy seasons in a row and then has continued to get hurt. So I think that's really the only case against it is just maybe he'll get hurt, but maybe every player will get hurt. And we do this every offseason. I get yelled at every offseason because I don't care about injuries. And so you can tell that this is a slightly disingenuous argument from me, but it's basically just he's really big and maybe he'll have trouble staying healthy. Maybe he doesn't run as much as he did last yeah. year. Like, you know, 16 steals, that's a clear outlier for him. Maybe he gives you 8 to 10, something like that. But Yeah, I uh, think you should be ex- you should draft him yeah. expecting 8 to 10. As well said, look, even if you get 75% of the production you got this past season, he's probably a top five player once again in yeah. fantasy baseball. The sixth overall pick right now, four outfielders in a row, by the way, 
is Kyle Tucker, who is entering his prime. He's turned 26 years old in mid-January, and he has been awesome. Uh, each of the past three years continues to get better. Towers, we're coming back to you. The case for Kyle Tucker in the top half of the first round, sixth overall. I, I guess the case for would just kind of like what we have with Trey Turner and, and Jose Ramirez is that you just you get really solid production across the board. He's not necessarily elite at anything, but he's in a good lineup or great lineup. He's a very good player. And it seems pretty safe. Like he's done it three years in a row now. He's been a very good hitter. The underlying stats mostly back it up. He doesn't strike out. He walks a decent amount. He's just kind of good at everything. So he's got a lot of this is something I've been talking about a lot with with fantasy football is like we we tend to think about outcomes in terms of like a one, you know, he took a path to get there. But like there's a lot of different paths that players can take to being good. And Kyle Tucker is probably a player who has a lot of different paths to being a good player. Like, let's say he has an outlier power season. That's within the realm of possibility. Let's say the power is not quite there. Maybe he steals five extra bases. There's a lot of different ways for things to go right for him and probably not that many ways for things to go wrong. All right. Well, the case against here, Welshie, when it comes to uh, Kyle Tucker, I think we are projecting a little bit because as great as he is, as... He continues to get better. He still finished only 14th overall in Roto mm -hmm. last year. Now he's being drafted 6th overall. So it seems like there is some projection involved in this ranking. Uh, what is the case against Kyle Tucker? Yeah, and I think it's interesting too. Uh, I, I mean, I'm just going to point out, I think overall it's hard to make big cases against Kyle Tucker. But positionally, I think that's like what you're getting at is like we, we haven't broken that big top 10. The counting stats going up, I think, are the big key. Mm -hmm. um, same amount of homers this past year. Stolen bases went up significantly. RBIs went up significantly. It's a killer lineup. The only thing that I continuously look at with him is the batting average is just not great. And that always leads me to worry about uh, extended slumps. Luckily, he doesn't strike out a whole bunch. And he ironically did have a relatively lower BABIP than, you know, he, at least he's carried for three straight seasons or his career average. I mean, those, again, are things that kind of work in his favor. But, um, you know, he is pretty pull heavy and mm -hmm. you know the shifts haven't worked in his favor but without the shifts that is going to work in his favor I, I would ultimately say that the lineup is great he hits a little bit lower in the lineup with maybe any struggles at batting average that might be a problem also you know like the stolen bases are great the Astros aren't historically a team that are hyper hyper aggressive with stolen bases long term they got to worry about health I think it's it, this again, this is actually an, uh, projecting on the other side. I think you can maybe project that that could start to maybe taper down a little mm -hmm. bit. Um, but I think it's hard to make a, a, a bad case outside of like he just hasn't performed at that level. So how much further are we going to go? I, I think it's a, a crazier thing to project a really high batting average, even though. And that's one of the wildest things here is he has hit. I don't understand this. Maybe you guys can tell me steamer projections have him at 281. He has only hit over two. He has only only hit over two seventy once in his entire career, and there's a massive shift in projections on this year. Which, if he were to hit that, I think that is something that pushes him in why he is being seen as a six overall, mm -hmm. based on a lot of projections on something he really hasn't done. I think the the batting average thing it's sort of like Jose Ramirez, where you see the strikeout rate, you see the play discipline, you think 
this guy should be hitting for a better batting average. But like, yeah, some guys don't, you know, some guys put the ball in the play and, you know, 75% of their plate appearances, but still run, you know, relatively low BABIPs. And in, in his case, you know, maybe there's some launch angle issues and, and some inconsistency that he can iron out. But it also may just be that like, like Jose Ramirez, he's a, you know, the underlying, the, the total skill set when you look at like the, you know, the, the stat cast bars, it's all like 70th percentile. It's not 95th percentile. You know, we're not talking about Aaron Judge as a hitter. And so it might be the kind of thing where like he gets the most out of a pretty good skill set as a hitter, but you have to trade something. He trades power for average, maybe, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, and he did this also with the lowest hard hit percentage of his career, uh, 41.9%. Mm-hmm. Launch angle was uh, the highest of his career, mm-hmm. and barrel percentage was still in the 10 percentile. So there, there's actually like there's like weird anomalies, I think, that look in that. I think this is the start. And maybe you guys would disagree. Maybe uh, Julio is that. But this is kind of the start of the like, meh, you know, this isn't yeah. like... It, even though you, it's hard to build some of them, like this isn't the lockdown guys that we've been talking about. I feel like he kind of identifies the first thing where we're reaching a little bit. You'd rather pick fifth than sixth for sure. Exactly. Yeah. Good. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's a tier change. I think there's a clear top five this year as well. Whatever order you want to put those five in, that is up to you. Last thing I'll mention on Kyle Tucker Welsh, you brought up the shift being gone. And I will always reference this. It is a great uh, graph. It's a great picture uh, graphic that was put out by Chris Clegg, our buddy at Roto Clegg on Twitter. Yeah. And Kyle Tucker was shifted 91% of the time in 2022. Uh, his BABIP against a shift was 244. His non-shift BABIP was 425. The third biggest difference between shifted BABIP and non-shifted BABIP. So we could see some of that projection in the batting average there where maybe he can get up to 275 or up over 280. Uh, and last thing, the lineup spot has been so frustrating for Kyle Tucker because he is legitimately one of the top 20 hitters in baseball, top 25 hitters in baseball, and he's batting fifth and sixth consistently for the Astros. Like, I don't care that Michael Brantley has been there, done that. Drop him in the order. I want Kyle Tucker up at two, and then I think we could see the counting stats be even higher mm-hmm. moving forward. Let's take a quick break. We got some news and notes that we'll get to, uh, but we'll take a break and we'll be back right after this. The all new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all wheel drive, standard third row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together. And nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. All right, the news and notes. Rafael Devers avoided arbitration by signing a one-year $17.5 million deal with the Red Sox, and the two sides are still engaged on a long-term extension. 
man, if Heimblum can't get this done, <laughs> they are going to call for his head in Boston because I don't really know what he's done I mean, this offseason and, and what he's been doing the past couple of years, honestly. So. John Henry was getting booed at the Winter Classic game yesterday. I don't know if you guys saw that. I do not blame about it. anybody no. for, for yeah. doing that. The way the way that the Red Sox have handled their star players the past couple of yeah. years, like Mookie Betts and Xander Bogarts, it's that's not really the way that the Boston Red Sox should be handling their players. Carlos Correa and the Mets update are slated to resume negotiations soon. What does that mean? I don't know, but there was an update that uh, the contract will look different than the one that came out initially. So I don't know what that contract is going to be. Uh, they're still kind of ironing things out. Would not surprise me if maybe Carlos Correa winds up on his third team of the offseason at you some point. You didn't see the other big update where he put on Instagram a picture of his kid with a yeah, I love baby. New York uh, yeah. like a little onesie on. I think I, I think that's a pretty Yankees. big deal here, Frank. You're burying the lead here. Yeah. Going to the Yankees. Yeah, I heard that. <laughs> uh, you know, I guess it wouldn't be the worst thing, but yeah, I don't know. They got some prospects coming. I don't want Carlos Correa. Anyway, uh, Dominic Smith. We spoke about Willie Calhoun yesterday. Dom Smith is not on the same level as Willie Calhoun for me, but he's not far off either. I, I love Dom Smith, and I, I hope he gets it going. He signed a one-year deal with the Washington Nationals. Uh, from 2019 to 2020, he was awesome. He hit 299, 21 homers, 937 OPS. Since then, he has played 203 games, hitting 233 with a 643 OPS. So, hope he gets back on track, but don't really have much to go on in recent years. The Orioles acquired Ryan O'Hearn for cash considerations. Outfielder Rafael Ortega signed a minor league contract with the Yankees. And apparently the Twins have expressed interest in Michael Waka, who quietly had a solid season with the Red Sox in 2022. Let's get back into the case for and against the first round. Seventh overall, Bobby Witt Jr. You know, I kind of wish Scott was here because he'd probably just completely rip this one <laughs> apart. But... This is the player I was going to reference earlier. He should not be a first-round pick in head-to-head points leagues. I don't know that he should be a second-round pick in head-to-head points leagues. There's just a clear delineation between his roto value and his head-to-head points value. He doesn't walk very much. He's a lower OPS kind of hitter. I, he should not be a first-round pick in head-to-head points leagues. So I'm just going to get that out there. Welsh, it is your lucky day. You get to make mm. the case for Bobby Witt Jr., which I know you, well, you've already I'm done anyway. Yeah, I mean, I like Bobby Witt, but I'm not going to really disagree here. I'm just going to throw this out here. I think this is too high. Uh, if he's going seven, this is way too high. This is also uh, very clearly, uh, I know I do this a lot, and I apologize if it annoys people, but when we talk about the NFBC stuff, uh, I'll always throw out when a catcher goes high, like when we talk about MJ Melendez, I'm like, well, it's two catcher leagues. Just remind about This is clearly one of those things where it's the upside stolen base chase that happens, mm-hmm. and this is, to me, going to be a stark difference between what you're actually going to see and like what we all play, you know, in our home leagues and stuff like that, what you're going to see in like a head head and roto league compared to what NFBC is going, because I just don't think it's going to end up being like that. But he's one of eight players that had a 2020 season, the 30 stolen bases, I think are what stand out to a ton of people. Not quite in the Julio Rodriguez range, but he was able to maintain a relatively solid upped batting average with the 2030. And I think, again, come back to some of the projections, that projections working in favor. I think anytime you see projections working in favor of rookies, uh, I think you can get excited. Uh, Derek Hardy is kind of famously someone who will kind of just kill the rookies and people get on his case about it. But once you have some data to work with, you're going to see them go up. You've got a lower strikeout percentage that's put in his favor, a higher batting average, more counting stats. And he put up 150 games last year. He's got some warts, but he's aggressive on the base paths and 
like the Jose Ramirez thing, he plays at a position that you kind of get to take advantage of. And I think that's a really big key. It's a kind of poor position with elite stolen bases, solid power numbers. You can't call him a five-tool player yet, but he's got the makings of a five-tool player if that batting average comes up. I guess you could also argue the runs in RBI are going to be relatively limited in Kansas City overall. But hey, if you're going to play the upside on Vinny, Vinny Pasquantino uh, moving up, Bobby Witt Jr. is going to play a big role in that. He's a very polished hitter who's only going to get – I truly believe he will only get better. But seven overall is pretty tough to stomach. Right, Towers? Yeah. I mean, I think the the case against him is just – that he's more a collection of interesting skills than a fully formed baseball player. Like, you know, Frank, when you were, when you were introducing him, you were using the word is a lot, you know, he is this, and it's like, well, based on what we, what he is right now, he's not worth this, you know, and that's partially the case for him. I would argue is that he was the 36th overall player last season while being, you know, very raw and, and very much not a finished product. Now, you know, the rawness, doesn't come together in his strikeout rate, but his whiff rate was six or 45th percent, his chase rate 16th percent. So he's a very aggressive hitter who's still learning how to be a good hitter. And so I just think a lot of it comes down to the case against him, probably not going to help you in batting average right now, probably needs to take several steps forward, you know, as a power hitter, as an overall hitter, in order to justify this value. Um, but, but, you know, I think. When you can say all of that and also say that he was a top 40 player last year, like that's not a bad bet to make. It's not a bet I'm going to make it seventh overall necessarily, but it's it's a justifiable like, hey, this is a guy that you should probably bet on if it's 12th overall. I feel a little better about it. It's it's kind of interesting seeing like Bo Bichette going behind him. I know it's a short versus third base, but like yeah. that kind of seems there. There's this crazy upside play of insane improvement put on Bobby Witt, which I think is a lot of expectations, and I think also sets him up to be a fantasy pariah if he doesn't live, live oh, up to yeah. those expectations. We, we turn on players like this real, quick. and I think people <laughs> could turn on Bobby Witt really hard when you're passing on guys like Bo Bichette in favor mm-hmm. of him. So, yeah, look, he is. The odds-on favorite to lead third bases, uh, th- lead third baseman in steals. I mean, to get those out-of-position steals is just—it is a huge uh, asset. Um, but there, there are still some downsides, specifically in the batting average. But uh, Bobby Wood Jr. continuing to get better. Hopefully, uh, can live up to this draft stock for at least some people, the ones that are drafting him. One hundred eight, the eighth overall pick right now is Shohei Otani. For my office fans out there. My horn can pierce the sky. This guy is a unicorn. He is unreal. Back-to-back seasons, 34-plus home runs and 11-plus steals. And guess what? If you don't want to use him as a hitter, you have an elite starting pitcher on your hands as well. Towers, I've already started to make the case for Shohei Otani, but you can continue it right now. I, I don't even, like, what wouldn't be the case for him? He's a freakishly talented player who has put together two elite seasons as a hitter in a row. Now he's got power. He's got speed. There's hope that he could be more of a contributor in batting average than he has been. Uh, what was it? 273 last season. It wouldn't shock me if he got that up to say 290 in a good year because he is fast because he is, you know, potentially going to benefit from this shift being taken away or, or, significantly limited and like you're talking about a guy who could easily go 45 20 with good batting average you know that 
it's it's a really easy case to make. It's just, I guess there's a little bit of concern about the overall ceiling in terms of playing time, you know, both as a hitter and a pitcher, but not really. All right, Walsh. Well, don't you have don't the? Don't you uh, dare ask me this question. <laughs> don't you dare ask me this question. Uh, you have I the, mean, it's it's one sentence, right? Well, is utility only? Yeah, yeah utility. Well, I could say you could potentially look at injuries. Yeah, he's a tiny bit more injury prone when you take all of the stuff he's going to do on the mound that could take away from hitting. So I think that is he's extra injury prone. Uh, or susceptible, maybe that's a better way to put it, injury yeah. susceptible because of what he's doing on the mound. But yes, 100% correct. He's util only. I actually did a dynasty mock draft uh, for the uh, ITL pod, and I took him one. And then I just had this thing that happened in the second round where Bryce Harper was there. And I'm like, ooh, but then I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Bryce Harper's util only. And yeah. I can't do this. And I can't figure that. And I literally couldn't make it work. And I and I kind of did something in Dynasty that I didn't want to do. So yeah, it's a util only that really stinks. But uh, it, I think it's hard to make a case. Uh, and Unless you get into like, he's a hitter, pitcher only. And then it kind of comes back to the same thing where it's like, okay, well, if he's hitter only, the only really argument against it is util and the injury stuff. If he's pitcher only, he doesn't acquire all the, the he's not necessarily like top five at that position he's still phenomenal but he's not a first round pick as a pitcher and, and so, i guess yeah, maybe maybe you could make the case that like th- there's a lot of moving pieces and so like if something goes wrong maybe it's a little harder for him to figure it out because he has to do both but i mean we've seen him like that's you know this, this that 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 would have been the thing four years ago you know we've seen him do it now yeah yeah when it comes to Otani, we spoke about this yesterday, Welsh. Um, we were comparing Bryce Harper, where if he didn't have util only and he had outfield eligibility, how much higher would he go? Like before he got hurt and all this stuff. And we said, you know, he'd probably move up around six or seven spots, like into the middle of the first round. If Shohei Otani was not util, if he somehow had outfield eligibility, he's a top three pick. I mean, he's legitimately in the running for first overall, but... In a daily format, he's the number one overall pick in whatever you guys want to talk about. But I know here, we do talk a little bit more in weekly stuff. I have him in the Scott White Dynasty League, and it it is a difficult thing for me. It's a 2014 league. He could be a cheat code, but I do have to make the decision every week about where I want to place him. Yeah, and he never gets the second start, or almost never gets the second start, so... If you want to hear a rant about uh, Shohei Otani's eligibility, listen <laughs> last week to uh, Welsh and I giving out our New Year's resolutions for fantasy baseball. So it gets me fired up. And people don't agree. Yeah. And you know what I like is I didn't get like hate about it. I got like disagreement, but I didn't get hate about it. I, yeah. I, I, I do feel very passionate for whatever reason about the nonsense that still surrounds him. All right. So we've got about 10 minutes left and we have four players left to talk about. So let's uh, kind of zoom through some of these. 109, the ninth overall pick right now is Juan Soto. And Towers, you know that you have to make the case against for our buddy who kept calling him Juan Succo last year. So we're going to start <laughs> off with the case for Welsh. You are making the case for Juan Soto. Yeah, I love this uh, that you put on here. His 150-game average before this past season, 31 homers, 108 runs, 100 RBI with 10 stolen bases and a 300 batting average. This coincided with a pretty difficult 2022, which I know so many people don't want to hear it, and I'll make this quick. You don't want to hear about the idea that players have like real-life thoughts and processes that go on, and the entire Mm -hmm. season he was being built around moving off of the team that brought him in. And I think there's maybe a part of effect on that. The other one is pretty glaring, uh, a 249 BABIP, which is 
almost 100 points lower than the previous year, and it's around 60 points lower than uh, his career average. I think those absolutely stand out. He still hit 27 homers. It's just the batting average absolutely tanked, and it coincided with the the Babbitt. Uh, he had an X slug that was 50 points higher than his actual slug, and he had a almost 25 point higher batting average on expected batting average than that. So I'd throw all of that out. You've got Babbitt. That's working against him. You've got ex- expected numbers that are way in favor of him. You have the trade. You have the potential trade all season long. Now you're going to put him in the Padres lineup for a full season with Fernando Tatis Jr. coming back. Uh, yeah, I think it's a pretty easy case. I, I got to tell you, I think it's impossible why anyone is taking uh, Bobby Witt Jr. over Juan Soto right now. I know why. But I'm not doing it. I'm not going to do it. Yeah, it's speed and it's third base, but you can make the outfield argument for Juan Soto as well. Last year, I will point out his splits against lefties. He had a 701 OPS. That's never been an issue for him in his career. On his career, it's 841. So I, I just I'm, I, I am betting on him bouncing back against left-handed pitching, bouncing back overall. This is probably the, the easiest bounce back uh, that you know we've talked about so far in Juan Soto. Uh, and Towers, you now have to make the case for Juan Succo, which is the bad version of Juan Soto. <laughs> Yeah, like, look, man, he's a 24-year-old who's, like, he's arguably the best young hitter since Ted Williams. No, 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 like, make the case against. <laughs> this but is illegal. From a fantasy perspective, especially in the format that we're talking about, which is Roto, he's never been, outside of the 2020 shortened season, he's never been, like, an elite, elite guy because he doesn't really, he gives you very, very good batting average. And then mostly he's been good. You know, he's a good power hitter. He gives you a lot of runs in RBI, but not huge numbers. You know, what, what's his career? Uh, he has 110 RBI season and 111 runs, which is very good, but he only has the 100 RBI season. So he's been a guy who, you know, the walks kind of take away from him in Roto. And head-to-head, the walks are great. You actually get points for them. But in, in, in Roto, you know, he's been like the... Number 12 hitter. I think if you look at 2019, 2020, and 2021, he's been like right around 12 to 15 among hitters. He's never actually been, outside of 2020, a first-round caliber player. Uh, I I don't believe that. Like, I, I think he is. But you wanted me to make the case against it. And it might just be maybe he walks too much to be as good as he can be in Roto. Thank you, Chris, because I know that that was tough for you. I I have a feeling look, like, that you're, you I are saw, going to rank Juan Soto much higher than this ADP. And and there were there were some suggestions last year. There was some analysis that suggests that he his style of hitting, you know, the, the parts of the park that he hits the ball to might be more susceptible. You know, he hits to the power alleys, which is a misnomer because power tends to actually get harmed in the power alleys, you know, left center, right center. So, you know, it's it's possible that the new debtor ball makes him a good power hitter instead of a very good power hitter, which is what he's been, you know, most of his career. So it's possible that that's there, but I, I think he just had a weird year. He's, he's arguably the best hitter in baseball. All right. So we've got three players left, five minutes left. So each of you is going to make the case for and against each player that you are assigned. Towers, we're coming back to you. Mookie Betts is going 10th overall, the case for and the case against Mookie Betts. Uh, the case for Mookie Betts is that 
He's one in a great lineup. Two, he's done it every year. Like we've seen down years for Mookie Betts and he always bounces back. He's just a rock. He's like a metronome kind of player for your fantasy team. He's good at everything. He's going to give you a lot of counting stats. I don't really worry about like, he's one of those players that people can look at like, oh, well, his average exit velocity was down. It's like, he's never been great in that regard. He's just such a good overall hitter. He's got such good bat control that like, he's going to steal a few home runs that maybe he shouldn't because that's the the kind of skill set he has. I guess the the downside would be he's not running as much as he used to. That was a big part of his value. That's You're starting to see it, especially in the batting average. You know, it might be a situation where he's cheating for power a little bit and losing the batting average along with the, the steals not being or the speed not being there. He's had some injuries. He's in his 30s now. So there, there's a few ways that things can go wrong, and he could be like a, you know, 260, 225, 10, 25, and 10 kind of guy rather than a, you know, 35 and 20 guy. But I don't think there's really a lot of ways for things to go wrong for him unless he can't get, stay healthy. Which of those two sides do you believe more, the case for or the case against? The case for. Okay. I tend to think like when you're talking about Hall of Fame players, just bet on them. Like that, that I like, I think we like it's, it's one of those things where like I love my advanced stats and I, I do a lot of research and all that, but there, there are some situations where you can kind of lose the force for the trees. And I think like, I think Paul Goldschmidt's a good example of someone who I've lost the, lost the plot with a bit over the last few years. Like, well, he is declining. And it's like, yeah, this guy's still incredible. And you should probably just keep betting on him, figuring it out. Cause he's done it so many times. And that's, that's with Mookie bets. Like he's, he's figured out how to keep being great. You know, when he's lost something. It's funny when those guys, I'm not going to go long, but it's the falling knife syndrome. It, I did it with David Ortiz for years and years. And just <laughs> thinking of Goldie, it's a, you're, you don't want to be the one, you know, you, you don't want, you're worried it's going to drop and you don't yeah. want to be the one that's on the back end of that falling knife, but it never actually happens. That was David Ortiz for sure. All right, let's move on to 11th overall, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Welsh, you are up the case for and the case against him. Uh, the, the case against uh, real quick, I think is really based off of this is what a bad year looks like for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. By the way, this is where you are going to ding him after he gets 32 homers, just falls short of a hundred hundred, uh, has a career high in stolen bases at eight at first base and still hits 274, which in this climate is like hitting, you know, 315 in the nineties. So that's still a really good place to be. The case against, I think works in that big spot. Um, slug was down, uh, compared to last year and I think it's all based on last year's stuff hard hit went down five percent which I think people have uh, a little bit of concern about and his launch angle was the lowest of his career with some of those early struggles he had uh, uh, in the year at least as far as the batting average wasn't really there but just you know getting into the full counting stats one of the big ones was uh, his struggle against lefties hit 295 in 2021 and 2022 he hit 245 you know, and he was a pretty like 290 above both uh, righties and lefties in 2021. And he sunk on that respect. So that really, really hurt him. I think the place in favor of it is this is still a dominant young hitter who has found ways to come back from that. I mean, he had a 279 batting average, which was solid. It was better than his 271 in the first half. He had a bad September, but, you know, 
between June and August, he was able to maintain his batting average over 280 with a 340 month in there. And projections are dominantly on his side. They do not buy, even though there's you know, just enough sample size in there, they do not buy the 274. It's 292. This is a guy that broke projections as a rookie uh, when he was like a 300 projected batting average. They've got him over uh, the 32 homers at 40, 100, 100, and the little add-in stolen bases. I think what you're just seeing is uh, comparing off of another year for an elite hitter and people are discounting you and they're doing you a favor on Vladimir Guerrero. But if you want to make those cases against, I think there's a few pieces you can go. And really, it's just statistical uh, from last year, which were still really good. Yes. And I love the durability for Vlad. He has missed three games in three seasons, which in today's climate of baseball and fantasy baseball, you just don't really see that very often outside of Whitmerryfield, who's you know, this generation's Iron Man, basically. So love that for Vlad. The case against, and I tweeted this out today as well. I got to let you know a response that I just got to too, which is absolutely hilarious. And I love people like this. His average launch angle went from 9.4 in 2021 to 4.3 this past yeah. season. Ground ball rate was once again up over 50%. So there's just inconsistencies in launch angle launch angle year over year, month over month. And that's why, you know, we see some massive years, some massive months. And then we see some still really good months out of Vladimir Guerrero, but maybe the power is down a little bit in those months. The home runs, the slug is down a little bit. I think if he can ever consistently figure out how to just hit more line drives and fly balls, I understand it's easier said than done. This might just be how he's wired. That's fine. He's still an awesome player regardless. But if he does lift the ball, then we can get back to 2021 levels when he was the top player in fantasy baseball. I tweeted out a graph, like a line graph with launch angles and everything. This is the response I got. Did Hank Aaron care about launch angle? <laughs> you know, the, the thing I hate about that response is like Ted Williams did. Like we know that he talked about it. He wrote a book about it and you can find it and read it. So like may I don't know if Hank Aaron did, but like Ted Williams was the, is the best hitter ever probably. So like, if that guy cared about it, that's good enough for me. I love those responses. Those are so <laughs> hilarious. That's like, that's like, you know, did Blockbuster care about what Amazon streaming numbers look like this month? Like, it's just so outdated. Like, just it's a great comment. It's a great yeah. comment that has like no real warranted uh, uh, credit to it. So I absolutely I love, it. love it. 12th overall, and I'll quickly make the case for and against this player. It. It's Jordan Alvarez, the case for. He was ridiculous last year. 306 batting average, 37 homers, nearly 100 and 100 on the runs in the RBI. 1019 OPS. That was the second highest OPS among all hitters behind only Aaron Judge. Speaking of Judge, I truly believe Jordan Alvarez is the only player that really rivals Judge in terms of how hard he hits the ball consistently. Giancarlo Stanton. Well, yeah, I guess, yes, you can say that. Um, but also for batting average, which is something that Jordan Alvarez can do in one of the best lineups in baseball, uh, in the Houston Astros. And he did all of this while having a uh, terrible August hand injury. He hit 234 with a 634 OPS. So imagine what his numbers could have been if he just had a regular Jordan Alvarez month in the month of August. I think the only cases against is that for Roto, he doesn't run. He's not going to give you steals one bit, but he is a legit, legit four category contributor. He is elite in those categories. And maybe, are we totally yeah, past the knee thing? Yeah, that's the only thing I was going to bring up, too, is like you kind of have it in the back of your mind. Obviously, he's still young and like he stayed healthy the past two years. But, you know, degenerative knees for a you know 22 or 23 year old at the time, it is a, a tad bit scary. So I will mm -hmm. say that as a case against as well. But man, if you have a turn pick this year 
and you get Jordan Alvarez, some of the names we haven't even mentioned yet, you could pair him with like Freddie Freeman. Yeah. Is there a higher floor than those two hitters together Love. right now? Or yeah. Bo Bichette, if you want to get some steals on your team there, Bo Bichette and Jordan Alvarez together, even Manny Machado, you lock up third base and outfield. Man, I mean, if you're at the turn in a 12-team league. Or even take a pitcher. That is nice. Yeah. I was, I was going to say, that's one of the, the funny things. I, people are like, hey, did you guys just talk about first-round hitters? No, no. That's the NFBC right now. There is no first-round pitcher going. And I think we're going to see that even outside of the NFBC, but we'll have other podcasts to talk about that strategy related, why pitchers are going a little bit later than we have seen in years past. Uh, just a quick question to wrap up with, guys. Based on this ADP, everything we just talked about, which draft slot would you be eyeing the most in the first round uh, using this ADP? I think I think Chris said it uh, earlier. I think five. I think five. Five, I think, is a really slick spot. Maybe four or five. Uh, I tend to be the type of person. Sometimes you can just take uh, the, you know, take it into your own hands and you can just have one or two and just take your favorite guy. But like at four or five, you get kind of the drop on maybe the next player. So I I, I think I'm going to just say, uh, let's just go with four because then maybe it's not I have to take the last of it. I get to kind of make a choice of the last two, get a really valuable player. Uh, I'll stick with uh, four here. Towers? Yeah, I think four is probably the place to be. Yeah, yeah I, I think that's the right answer too. But man, I really just talked myself into 12 picks. So in a 12-team league... Know, one thing man. is historically one tends to have the highest win rate, I believe, which is like not necessarily... It's kind of what you would expect, but it's a little surprising. Um, but like, I think you always want to be near closer to the top than the bottom. All right, we're going to wrap there for both Chris's Welsh and Towers. I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.